You're listening to Her Brilliant Health Radio, episode number 35. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to Her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Kieran here for another episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to talk about something awesome. It's about how to create a life you love in 90 seconds. That's right, 90 seconds. We're going to be talking with my friend, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, and she and I both studied with Mary Morrissey. She is fabulous. And she is a master clinician. She is on the faculty at Pepperdine University. And I'm going to tell you all about her right now. So best-selling author, consultant, master clinician, and media host, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, is a professor of graduate psychology at Pepperdine University. She's known as a cutting-edge psychologist, who's an innovative thinker, acclaimed speaker, and trainer. As a two-time TEDx speaker and member of the Association of Transformational Leaders, she has been recognized for her thought leadership and influence in the personal development arena. Dr. Rosenberg has been featured in the documentaries, I Am, The Miracle Mindset, Pursuing Happiness, and The Hidden Epidemic. And she's been featured on CNN, The Own Network, and on PBS. Dr. Rosenberg can help you understand how to build your confidence and emotional strength and resilience, as well as how to have better relationships so that you can create a life you love in 90 seconds. And that's exactly the title of her new book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. Please help me welcome Dr. Joan Rosenberg. Thank you so much. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. And I know everybody's dying to know is how can I have a life I love in 90 seconds? That sounds so promising. (laughs) And we'll, we'll get into it. But tell us about the book and how it came about and what we can expect from it. I you can actually expect if you really get into it, you can expect a life change for the better. That's what you can expect. It's I put I put 25 years of work into that book, and it's first I first started writing it 10 years ago. So it's it's uh, it really is a, a one piece of my life's work, and you really can expect to be far more confident, much more peaceful, inner peace, uh, and feel more authentic, live more authentically, and feel more resilient in the things that you pursue. There's way more. You have uh, lots of opportunities to feel good about speaking up and saying the things you want to say. Mm-hmm. Feel, fear of failure disappears. I mean, all sorts of stuff. So it's, uh, there's really a lot of opportunity to kind of change the way you view the world if you, if you actually mm-hmm. follow through the book. Well, I think it's a really important topic, and that's why I wanted to have you come on the show and talk about it. Because just speaking for myself, having confidence, people think, oh, Dr. Kieran, you you have plenty of confidence and self-esteem. But the truth is that when I do something new, and when we all do something new, we don't have the self-esteem and the confidence. For instance, doing this podcast, I wanted to do it, but I was worried, could I do it? Would I be good enough? Would I be interesting enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And until I finally said I'm doing it because I feel passionate about doing it. And if it helps one person, then I will have done something worthwhile. Yep. And then I stepped into it and it's a learning experience. We're, we're always expanding. Yes. And then the next thing that I think of doing, I say, Oh, can I do that? So 
I think that it's important because I don't know that we're taught as children how to have confidence and healthy self-esteem. And I know you talk about authenticity also and right. how to be authentic to ourselves. Right. And so talk about this. Why is this important for every human being, not just someone who feels like they're suffering with it? Uh, a great question. Just such a great question. The, so here's the thing. Um, confidence happens from the inside out, just as you found. You go do the thing and then you, and then you gain the confidence. And that's that. So I'll, I'll boil a couple things down right away. We aren't taught confidence. No. And I also think there's a lot of misunderstanding about it. So the, and the way that I view confidence at this point, and it's tied to the, the title and subtitle of the book, is that confidence is the deep sense that you can handle the emotional outcome of whatever you face or whatever you pursue. Notice the focus is on the emotional outcome. The disappointment, the frustration, the whatever it might be, uh, and I'll I'll walk us through that. But but the other part is that I, I think I've I've identified six or seven ways in the book that that are super crucial to developing the confidence. Two of them have to do with speaking up, and the second is is doing. So it's not that we know ourselves. And then we speak. It's not work that we're confident and then we speak. It's actually as we speak, so through speaking, we gain confidence. And the, and the same is also true of taking action or taking a risk. Just like you were saying, you did the podcast and then you gained the confidence. It's not that you had the confidence going into it. Right. Right. But, but I will do a little language change for you in, in a moment. The, so, but your question was, can I do this? Well, it's not until you do it that you find out that you can. Mm-hmm. So it's the same as true. It's not that you're confident and then you take an action or take a risk. It's as you take the risk and engaged in those actions, then you gain the confidence. And it's just crucial for us to remember that, that that's how it happens. And so my little switch for you is to change anything you want to pursue from here on out to stop asking, can I, will I, do I questions Mm -hmm. and change them to, I can, I will, and I do. And one fosters doubt, the other fosters confidence. So I can do this podcast as opposed to, can I do Mm -hmm. this podcast? And when, when I think about it, when I learned how to tie my shoes, when we all learned how to tie our shoes, (laughs) we didn't know how to do it before. That's right. (laughs) What <laughs> we learned by doing, and now are we confident as adults that we can tie our shoes? Yes. Hell yeah, we can tie our shoes, right? So we do, and we learned how to walk by walking. Right. Learned how to drive by driving. That's correct. But I think that we get this idea in our head that people who are successful at things that we want to do, activities and have skills that we want to master that somehow they didn't go through that. Where do we get that perception when everything we learned, we had to learn by doing? I, I, I think we just, we just look over at those people and we just make assumptions. I think that that's part of what happens, right? We don't, and because we don't have this very simple idea that it's, it's actually through the being and the doing of something, that that's how we actually gain confidence. Nobody really talks about it. They'll, they'll say, go do it, but they don't explain the go doing, right? It's right. you actually, so same thing. It, and, and why I want to come back to the definition that I, that I now use for confidence. It's because if we go do something, like the first time, if I go back to your shoe tying example, we're doing a podcast, doesn't matter what we choose, that, that you didn't, uh, you didn't, if it didn't work out the first time, you might have gotten disappointed or you might have gotten frustrated or you might have gotten sad or angry or whatever, mm-hmm. but you persisted, right? You held this attitude of persistence that I'm going to learn this. I'm going to learn how to walk. I'm going to, mm-hmm. uh, I fall down 15 times and get up 16, right? Or with the tying the shoes. It wasn't until you realized you didn't just keep on creating knots and you could actually do a bow, yeah. right? You persisted until, but you persisted through the frustration. You persisted through the emotional outcome. 
And when we have that deep sense mm-hmm. that we can handle the emotional outcome, even if it doesn't work out the way that we want, then we develop the confidence. Right. And I remember hearing Louise Hay say that when she first started speaking, she had no formal training in speaking. She didn't even have an education that qualified her to speak about anything that somebody would say, oh, she's qualified. I need to listen to her. But when she started, no matter how it went, when she left the stage, she patted herself on the back and said, that was, you did great. You did a great job. And I remember that in her talking about how she fostered her sense of confidence. And that is what fueled her greatness as a speaker and a writer. Right. Right. And and I find that it's it's so true. And, and I think that this is important for creating brilliant health for women, because I see a lot of women who don't have the confidence to go off script and follow the protocols that are required in functional right. medicine, right. changing their diet, exercising. Right. But it's no different than being confident running a podcast than it is can I change my diet and navigate it in a different way? Can I figure out how to work exercise into my life on a daily basis? So this is one of the reasons why I thought it was so important to have you come talk about this. Right. Uh, thrilled. And let me, so let me make uh, my, my first strategy that I want people to start yeah. using. Cause I, I touched on it, but I'm going to come back to it. Cause you, you the, if they're, if women are, are challenged with, changing those protocols or following through with the exercise or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. Change the can I, will I, do I, am I questions because all they do is foster doubt. Can I do this? Yeah. Am I capable? Right. Will I, will I succeed? Change the am I, will I, can I, do I, mm-hmm. to I am, I can, I will, I do. The asking the questions fosters doubt making the statement at least puts you in the frame of confidence. And, and let me ask, and I hear that. That's very important. Making the statement puts you in the frame of confidence. What about if someone says, I can't make the jump, Dr. Joan, from the question to the statement because I don't yet believe it. Would you offer to them that maybe they could say why they want to be successful? Would that be a good bridge or what would be a good bridge? Uh, um, there's, a, there's, I, I would, there's intermediate bridges um, mm-hmm. because it, uh, lots of times people will get all lost in what are the what if questions too. It's like, well, what if it doesn't work out the way I want? Um, well, mm-hmm. mostly people are focused on the negative outcome of something. Right. So it's faulty thinking. Uh, all of this is in the book too. Uh, it's faulty thinking to just go the what if negative. Mm-hmm. So then you can go what if positive. So what if it turns out great, right? But if that's not believable, then go to the neutral. So, well, what if I'm just open to however it turns out? What if I don't know how it turns out, but I'm going to go take the risk anyway? Mm-hmm. So that's a neutral bridge. So the, the same could be done in terms of the, so I'd have to come up with a, a bridge in terms of the, uh, I can versus can I, mm-hmm. um, but it's, uh, or I probably the bridge is just staying open and willing, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm open and willing to the possibility that I can. Right, open right? and willing, yes. so, so, or I, or So I would say openness, willingness, and curiosity would be the bridge mm-hmm. between, between can I and I can. I'm yes. going to be curious just to see if I can. Okay. Or to see that I can, not if I can. I'll be that curious to see that I can. Language is super important. It is. And, and so, and I, again, I'm super picky about it. I, I change all sorts of things, you know. Well, even the Bible says that the world was created with it, the, oh, word. the word. And <laughs> right. so your word is power and I am is power. And whatever you put behind that has power. So I love that you say that you use declarative statements that I am. Right. And that's a right. way, that's actually a way to reduce anxiety, to increase confidence, mm-hmm. to reduce anxiety and to reduce doubt. Yes, I love that. And let's also talk about authenticity, because I know yeah. that's something that's important to you. And in, in 
in honor of authenticity, I'm wearing my curly hair today, not straightened. <laughs> and I'm wearing my shine t-shirt. Sweet. Right? <laughs> Love it. Because <laughs> I'm just showing up how I am. Oh, good. Love it. And instead of thinking that I'm supposed to show up a certain way, I'm just showing up. And more and more, I do that. Nice. Uh, the, the freer it feels. Sweet. Sweet. So how, how do you help people navigate that issue? Because I think there are a lot of us women out there feeling like we have to fit some kind of mold, the corporate mold to be successful in corporate America or even in medical America or in academia. We feel that we have to be a certain way to fit in. So how do we embrace our authenticity? Well, I think I, there's so many answers to that question. But one, I would say, You've got to be a vision of who you want to be, right? It's like if you were your best self showing up and you were living, uh, to, to borrow a phrase, you were living a life you loved, mm-hmm. how, would, how would you be showing up? Who would you be and how would you be showing up? So that's the first question. It's like you don't start from the outside in in terms of what somebody wants for you. Mm-hmm. You start from the inside out. And, you've got, and same thing, you sort of declare it. And go, this is, this is the vision of who I would like to become. And so that, that's the first step is, is identify, identify your internal target for, for how you want to be in the world. The second around authenticity, and, and, it, and it's going to bridge pieces of the book too, is, is one is we have to accept the full range of who we are. And for me, it's also accepting the difficult feelings or the unpleasant feelings mm-hmm. and being able to work with those comfortably well. Not, none of us enjoys them. So it's, it, we, just, we just want to be able to, to, to experience and move through them as capably or as comfortably as we can. The, the second part of it, though, is the speaking up, that, that one is not authentic in the world until their actions match their words and their words and actions match their thoughts and feelings. So the, the whole notion of being congruent mm-hmm. across those four Actually, I could add a couple more opinions or beliefs or values and beliefs, that kind of idea too. Um, but, but at least those four, your thoughts, feelings, words, and actions are in line. Then we show up as congruent. And when we show up as congruent, then we're living our most authentic self. So what stops us from having those areas congruent in our lives, because I think that's probably true for a lot of us at different points in our life. Right. So why is it so hard to be who we truly are when we were just born the way we are? You know, well, again, I, for me, it comes down to the difficulty tolerating unpleasant feelings. It's like I, my, the whole book is focused on helping people be able to experience and move through eight unpleasant feelings. And, and, I, and for me, those eight unpleasant feelings underlie difficulties taking, risk, taking risks and actions, and they also underlie difficulty speaking up. So I, I can walk us through that if... Uh, yes, let's okay. do that. All right. So, so, so here's the deal. Uh, what I want people to do is to be able to experience and move through eight unpleasant feelings. They are sadness, shame, mm-hmm. helplessness, anger vulnerability, mm-hmm. embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. Did I miss one? No, you got eight. Okay, All right. cool, good. So, eight really challenging ones, yeah. Yes, but, but why these eight? Because these are the most common feeling outcomes to things not turning out the way that we need or the way that we want. So I didn't add fear, didn't add anxiety, didn't add inadequate because it's not a feeling or unworthy because it's not a feeling. So you're saying fear and inadequacy, those aren't feelings. No, no, fear is, but I want people to, I didn't add those into the eight because they're not the most common reactions to things not turning out the way that we need or want. Oh, once they turn out poorly. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So fear, I want people to have fear in situations that necessitate fear when they are in danger or life threat. Mm-hmm. All other times, fear is not relevant. And I'd like people to stop using the word fear in situations that where there is no genuine fear, like public speaking. 
So how, walk me through this because I know people are listening going, wait a minute, I'm afraid because they say it's the number one fear of Americans is public uh-huh. speaking. Yeah. So help me, Dr. Joan, why is that? Why is fear not present there? Why is that not valid? Because because they're, you're not in danger and you're not in life threat. Okay, so then what, why do people feel the fe- emotion of fear around that? Well, uh, the next most logical one to choose is the word anxiety, which is diffuse apprehension of the future. Okay. Anticipating a negative outcome, except mm-hmm. I think a better word is vulnerability, one of the eight. Okay, so you're saying that there, we're misnaming the emotion. We're misusing. And overusing okay. and misusing. Overusing and misusing. So yeah. we're not necessarily feeling fear. We're feeling apprehension, anxiety, or but, maybe. But, and alert. anxiety, I, I, when I talk about, there's a whole chapter on anxiety. When I talk about it in the book, it is a cover for the eight unpleasant feelings. Ah, let's walk through that. All right. So, so, uh, so fear we've already established. Danger right. or life threat in the moment right now. Right. If you're not experiencing that, stop using the word fear. Okay. Tiger's not after you. Don't use it. Okay. The next most logical one to use is anxiety. I feel anxious or I have, I have anxiety is what most people will say. But if I were to ask 15 people what it meant when they said they were anxious, I'd get 15 different answers. Hmm. So what I found is that I needed to dial it in more and more often than not in situations where people said that they were anxious, they were actually feeling vulnerable, meaning that they could get hurt. Emotionally, Emotionally. not physically. Right. Mostly emotionally. Okay. Yep. Yep. And if it's not that, then it's situations where people are feeling something and not really wanting to feel it, like feeling sad and trying to push it away or feeling angry and trying to push it away. It's got to go someplace. So it becomes anxiety or it's um, that they need to be expressing it and they're not saying it. So what the other way I think about anxiety is that not only is it a cover for one or more of the eight unpleasant feelings, vulnerability being the first mm-hmm. to consider, mm-hmm. but that it could be also considered unexperienced and unexpressed feeling. Okay. Very complicated, this web of feelings, which I'm finding that we, we really, as women aren't necessarily in touch with our feelings, which are live in our body. And it's also how we're cut off from our bodies. And then that's what creates illness. Yes. Yes. As, so, a, friend, as a friend of ours might yeah. like to say, the one we were talking about before we started is what doesn't get emotionalized gets physicalized. Right. And we're talking about Mary Morrissey, who yes, we are. both studied yeah. with, who's a yeah. wonderful teacher and coach. Right. And yes, she, she says that and it's so true. And this is why I think it's so vital to speak about it. Right. So what you're sharing about other emotions being suppressed, causing anxiety. Right. And then if we to in order to keep those emotions suppressed, am I correct that we have to expend energy? Oh, totally. It's like, think of a, think of a, Think of the feelings underneath here and you're just trying to put a lid on it and keep all the energy just like suppressed. So again, it's got to go someplace. It's still energy. So mm-hmm. it, it shows up as anxiety in the body because it, or something else or a bodily symptom because it's not being addressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people get churning stomachs because they're not saying the things that they need to be saying to their boyfriends, husbands, spouses, or whomever, right? So, so yes, that's absolutely true. Well, let me, so, go, go ahead. Go. No, no, I'll follow you. Go ahead. I was going to say, why, why are we not saying what we need to say? Why because, are we not expressing and we are suppressing instead of expressing yes. our emotions? Be, be, because we don't want to deal with the emotional discomfort of saying what we need to say. That takes me right back to the eight feelings. What I found is difficulty speaking up is not a speaking problem difficulty speaking <laughs> up i've got to let it land that's the pause difficulty speaking. i love that it's not a speaking problem it's not a speaking problem difficulty speaking up is a difficulty tolerating my unpleasant feeling problem 
my unpleasant feelings of being vulnerable and being possibly Open. rejected. No, no, I'll, I'll challenge your rejection there. So don't okay. go there. <laughs> do it. So what is Re- it? What is it that that Re- fear of rejection is fear of disappointment or embarrassment? Okay. Back to the eight. I'll keep on coming back to the eight. But this is good because I think we have to understand it before we can embody it and live it. Right, right. So let me let me walk let me walk you through the whole thing so that okay so that <clears throat> excuse me once you get this mm-hmm. then it, you I, hopefully you can't unget it. Um, so so here's here's the thing. I wrestled with two questions, one from childhood and the one, one from early adulthood. The first question was, how do we, how do we become, I was a, how do we become confident? I was an exquisitely shy child. And I saw everybody in groups over there someplace laughing and enjoying themselves and connected and seemingly confident. And it's like, I want that. How come I don't have that? Mm-hmm. So it was a big question for me. And to, and to grow out of my shyness and, and all that sort of good stuff. The second question is once I got into the field of psychology, which was pretty early in my life and, and the field of counseling and therapy, et cetera. Uh, then the question became, what makes it so difficult for people to deal with unpleasant feelings? And then as I've, as I've grown through my career, what I realized is that the second question had everything to do with answering the first question. Our capacity to deal or our ability to deal with unpleasant feelings has everything to do with our ability to be confident, resilient, and authentic. So, so let me, let me, if you give me a moment or two here, let me walk Mm -hmm. us through the thing and then I can link it up with the speaking part. Okay. And you'll just see how it all fits together. So, so the, it, for me, it came about in kind of a, a formula. So the, in terms of the unpleasant feeling question, because I wrestled with that. So it's, so the, the answer to the question is a formula to help us experience and move through unpleasant feelings. It's one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. That's the formula. So the one choice we're choosing is awareness as opposed to avoidance. We want to stay connected to ourselves as best as possible. So we want to be as aware of and in touch with as much of our moment-to-moment experience as possible. So to your point of cutting off from our bodies, the moment we do that, we cut off from our feelings. <clears throat> so we want to choose into awareness and give up the shopping and the social media and the, I mean, eating and the, you go, the list goes. All the distractions. Uh, substances. Yeah. It's all the distractions. <clears throat> and so one choice, awareness. Second, eight feelings. We've already covered them. Happy to go through them again. If you'd like me to. No, you're, you're good. Okay. We- so we got eight, eight feelings, got those. And then the 90 seconds. So it's like, well, okay. So here's, and here's the key to it. The, the, it's understand neuroscience findings in the, in the late 1990s and into the two thousands talked about how we, that we experience, most of us tend to experience feelings in our body first through bodily sensations. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor comes along, and I've always been telling people, ride the wave of feeling, ride the wave of feeling. I didn't understand why. Neuroscience explained it. It's, oh, you're, oh, you're riding bodily sensation waves. Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, my, the author of My Stroke of Insight, comes along, mm-hmm. makes this observation, Harvard-trained neuroscientist, makes this observation that um, when a feeling gets triggered, then we get this rush of biochemicals into our bloodstream that activate bodily sensations. Mm-hmm. It's those bodily sensations that help us know what we're feeling. The, embar- the heat coming up in, into our face from embarrassment, right? Or the drop-down sensation in our chest from sadness or disappointment or <clears throat> tightening of our fists or jaw or whatever it might be for anger. or mm-hmm. however, It's unique to every one of us. And then those biochemicals flush out of the bloodstream in roughly 90 seconds. And that was like the kicker. It's like, oh, okay, now I get it. It's not that we don't want to feel the whole range of our feelings. I think we do. We don't want to feel the bodily sensation that helps us know what we're feeling. And if we get that all we're talking about mostly is writing 
one or more 90 second, when I understand more, one or more 90 second waves of bodily sensations, then we can go pursue whatever we want. That's extremely profound. Thank you. So it's not that we don't want to feel our feeling or know what we're feeling. I think we want to know that's a fully lived life, right? right? But we don't want to, we really have a trouble tolerating the bodily sensation that helps us know what we're feeling. And why is that? We just, it's uncomfortable. It's, un, it's, <laughs> it's uncomfortable. <laughs> but isn't it uncomfortable because it's it is associated with that emotion, those mm-hmm. negative emotions. And uh, well, if we called it something else, and it would still be uncomfortable. Okay, I see what you're saying. Whether it was caused because it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. emotion or not, yeah. it's the bodily sensations of the clenching, the flaring, the yeah. tight. Yeah, yeah. flooding of biochemicals doesn't feel good we're not in charge of it yes right it's like being taken over almost sometimes yeah so we don't like it right and then and then it's not pleasant it's actually an unpleasant sensation as opposed to a pleasant sensation Mm -hmm. and how so how can you become more tolerant of that it's i think that the key is understanding that's exactly what it's all about it's 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 like okay this is when when uh, and again, we're talking about spontaneous, everyday, common occurrences, right? Somebody, somebody says, uh, it's like an, I was supposed to have a phone call yesterday that I was really looking forward to. And then I found out that it was, it was going to be canceled and delayed to a later point. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like, oh, disappointment, right? Mm-hmm. It's, but I let myself be with that. It's like, okay. It's like, I'm disappointed and all right. But so it's just allowing myself to stay present with the experience of my body and knowing that will pass. So I have two, two routes to kind of take it here. Cause I know the question about, yes, but my feelings last so much longer than that. Right. They linger. <laughs> it's like, uh, yes, they do sort of, but not really. Um, but but well, what about that? Because what if somebody has unresolved emotions? Because I love that book, Feelings uh, Buried Alive Never Die, where they talk about kind of childhood traumas, micro traumas, big traumas. Yep. And when emotions aren't allowed to be felt or processed. Right, right. And there's no debriefing, right. <laughs> then you carry them. And right. so you might be disappointed, but then doesn't it touch the energy of those stored emotions? And then it's, oh, yeah. Goes on oh, and yes. On. yes, 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 yes. And in fact, while you said debriefing, there's no debriefing in my head, it went, um, I went, no degriefing. Oh, no degriefing. Right. Right. So, so there's a, the chapter eight of my book really gets at this. There's two places I talk about it. One is there, I, there's a little section I talk about lingering feelings. And I think there's, there's a couple major reasons why they continue. Um, the uh, one, every time we repeat a memory, mm-hmm. we're firing off the same approximate pattern in our brain. So everything that's tied to that memory comes alive in that moment, right? So, so if there were unpleasant feelings attached to that, whatever, they might, whatever the event or episode was in the past, then it's gonna, you're just going to keep on bringing it up. Now, mm-hmm. why do we keep on bringing it up? I think we keep on bringing it up to try to resolve it. Um, mm-hmm. Right? And, uh, mm-hmm. go ahead. and how, how would people go about resolving that? The, the, for me, it's understanding the impact and meaning that that episode or that experience or that situation had on you or that event had on you at the time it occurred uh, as you aged up until right now. Mm-hmm. So what was, what was the impact? I think that the, so that I actually chapter eight is all about walking people through what I call disguised grief. So disguised grief. It, yeah. So if you, hold resentments, you're bitter, you're holding grudges, you're, you've got envy, jealousy, cynicism. Uh, that's what I, uh, those are several of the, what I call grief signal words. Then mm. there's stuff that's unresolved. And, and my, my goal in that chapter is to walk people through that, an opportunity so that they have an opportunity to resolve what the experience was. 
to actually what I call make sense of your life history. So that is so important. And I'm really getting, I mean, I didn't learn about this in medical school and it's something that I've had to learn as an adult, but what I'm really getting is that just as I learned about detoxifying and the necessity of detoxifying the body and functional medicine, and it's a key part of me helping people lose weight, regain energy, heal from illness, you have to detoxify with the, as you call it, de-griefing, which I think should be an actual term, and I think they should put your name in the dictionary after that. <laughs> with along, along with disguised grief. Yes, and disguised grief. Those yeah. are that those are phenomenal terms because they describe yeah. certain aspects of health and healing that I yeah. don't think have been described before. Yeah. So revolutionary, and okay. really we need to talk about the need for regular degriefing. Whereas, you know, every, depending on how toxic you are physically, I usually say an average toxicity level, you need to be doing a full body detox every three months. And that doesn't just mean taking a supplement. It means a whole lot of things. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. For physical. And if you're more toxic, then it needs to be done on a more continual basis. Uh, but the degriefing, it probably is the same thing. And if you're having some yep. of these Absolutely. reactive, as you call them, the emotions disguised, right. then you probably need to be doing it. So talk about some practices, if you don't mind, that could help people with this. Well, again, I, I, um, I, I use the acronym GRIEF to actually walk people through. The, it's the, in the book, it's called the Grief Reset Protocol. Um, and I, I could be a little less sciencey and take that protocol off. It's just grief reset. But, but again, it's, it's, uh, and there's, there's two ways to, to think about it. One is the, what I used as those kind of uh, grief signal words. So bitterness, resentment, grudges, those kinds of things. You've got that going for you mm-hmm. and you've tried to shut down or not think about that stuff and you've never finished it then this is a good time to, to take the time to do it. So it would be identifying, and the other way, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of spill some of the beans here, so is, is to think about um, that, that, so grief signal words is one aspect of disguised grief. And then there's a whole other way to look at disguised grief. Because I think it, it, to make, to get rid of that toxicity that you were talking about, or to, to I wouldn't say get rid of, to release and make sense of that toxicity. Mm-hmm. Um, it would. It means also understanding that we you're grieving over what you got and didn't deserve. Mm-hmm. The bad stuff, right? Chaos in the home, abuse, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. You're grieving over what you deserved and didn't get. The good stuff, people mm-hmm. showing up for recitals, whatever it might be, a praise for a, a, a something well earned. Grieving over what never was, kind of life, your life circumstances early. Mm-hmm. Grieving over what is not now. Mm-hmm. And grieving over what might never be. Mm. Both of those, for me, are under the umbrella of disguised grief. So several different aspects. Of your I life experience. Uh, most of us, when we think about grief, just think about what we've lost, but there are so many facets. Oh my goodness. Yes. To grief. Yeah. And so it sounds like you've got great practices in the book. I'm sure that help people walk, walk through right. this. Well, what does that look like? How do you do this? Because it can be kind of scary to, feel grief, especially when you've been out of whatever situation it is that you're grieving for months, years. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but again, if you know what it Mm -hmm. is, then it becomes, I think it becomes important to come back to it because then you can actually hopefully get some resolution to it. Mm -hmm. The, so it would be identifying taking just one incident or one situation that, that you went through and understand that once you start, it might activate other memories. Mm Mm-hmm. So that you're just aware of that and just stay open to it. That's health. That's healing. And, and then, and, and get the support if you need it, obviously the, a clinician of a mental health clinician to, to help you walk the journey if you need to. But the, so that then you, you identify the event, but then there, I, I take people through a series of nine to 12 questions 
to, so that you can make sense of, again, what you experienced and how it impacted you across time. And then to understand the meaning it held for you, maybe the relevance it, it held in your life, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. or significance. How, how did it change you? Who did you become because you went through whatever you went through? And then the next step is to forgive. And, and, and it's forgiving for what you did or did not know and what you did or did not do. And also forgiving others for what they did or did not know and for what they did or did not do. And then, and then it's, uh, it has to do with freeing yourself from the old life story. Hmm. Um, and so forgiving, freeing yourself from the old life story, and then forging new image, images of who you want to become so that you can start living into that. And this is so important for everybody listening to recognize that when these events of your life and processes and feelings are not degriefed, debriefed, processed, and transmuted, that these energies stay lodged in your body physically and stop you from having the abundant physical health that you want to have. They stop yes. you from having the joy that you want to have. So they, right. they clog up the machinery. Right, right. And the more you muffle, the more they seem to linger. The more you don't clean old stuff up, the mm-hmm. more it has the quality of lingering. And that's also another reason why it feels like there are lingering feelings. Mm-hmm. Because you're not actively moving them out. So it feels like they, it just goes on and on and right. on. You keep on repeating it to resolve it. Mm-hmm. And so how does this improve resilience? Well, again, you're, clear, you're clearing out the old stuff. You have a little bit more bounce in your step. But, but again, <clears throat> I see resilience as a, a couple different things. One is the capacity to experience and move through those eight unpleasant feelings is at the foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I've redefined emotional strength. Uh, uh, that's the being able to, to experience and move through those feelings has to do with feeling capable in the world Mm -hmm. because my sense is that and my experience in terms of observing over decades is that people don't feel capable in the world, fully capable until they have the sense that they can face the emotional outcome. So capability Mm -hmm. starts to equal confidence. Uh, The second part of emotional strength is what I call resourcefulness and resourcefulness actually has to do with asking for help. So the foundation is being able to experience and move through those eight unpleasant feelings. Then you are also able to ask for help, which is part of resilience. Mm-hmm. And, then, uh, and then there's lots of others that are especially tied into uh, both some actions, but also lots of attitude. So holding an attitude that I'm going to, uh, I'm open to change and understanding change is the constant. So um, I'm willing to be flexible and adaptive in the face of change. I will uh, choose to have every life experience be a learning experience for me. Uh, I'm going to persevere even when the chips are down, or I'm going to persevere when I get disappointed and things don't turn out the way that I want. Uh, Holding faith, um, doing good things for other people. There's there's a, I mean, I've listed uh, there's a, an, an action intention and attitude checklist for resilience in the book. Mm-hmm. And I think I probably list like 20 or 25 different things there that people can both experience, think about the experience and do. Um, so as, as part of that in terms mm-hmm. of attitude, attitude and actions. So one, one of those I, I particularly love. And a few years ago, I decided there was no such thing as failure. There was success and learning. That's correct. When, yes. I got divorced after 27 years. It wasn't a failure. It was a graduation. It was successful. There there was learning. Yes. And just started to really reframe that. And uh, it's it's changed my whole outlook. And when I share that with other people, they also love it and adopt it because it's true. We we can't get it wrong. Nope. Failure is just a learning opportunity. If you adopt that, you're, you're golden. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And do you have any idea about the percentage of patients whom you treat one-on-one who are suffering with physical health conditions 
in addition to these emotional types of issues they're dealing with and how their course progresses physically while you're working with them? Um, uh, some, I, it's not the greatest percentage of my practice, but, but certainly mm-hmm. some. And, and oftentimes what I'll see is a reduction in pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can remember uh, there's a woman that was actually, uh, actually experiencing some pelvic floor dysfunction. And I can remember so specifically because she talked about um, that she felt like it was burning inside. Mm. And, and I often consider the body as metaphor. So I, I looked at her, I said, I said, burning inside. So you're burning up inside. Angry. Mm. It's an association with anger, right? And, and then, and then uh, what that did is that opened a floodgate. And as soon as she started to talk about just how angry she was and, and in the various situations where she was angry, her pain reduced. Very interesting. So, so I mean, it's, it's one very poignant example that stands out, but, but mm-hmm. there, I'm sure if I spend time thinking about it, there are countless others that, mm-hmm. that when you do the work, that, um, that oftentimes there's greater literal flexibility. When somebody allows themselves to, to start to understand and even use their body as metaphor, the language of the body is kind of the language of emotion. Uh, <clears throat> then, then, and then what ends up happening is people start to develop as they're developing a more emotional flexibility. They often start to develop more physical flexibility and, and the same, the, I see a reduction in pain, those kinds of things. So, so the, the complaints uh, decrease, etc. So it, they're, they're, you can often see a correlation between the two. Fascinating and, and very important and very good work. And sounds like it should be must reading for my programs for sure. It's certainly topics that I cover, but it sounds like you cover in way more depth and practicality. Right, so right. I'm going to make it required reading. Awesome. Yeah. Music, to my, music to my ears, but yes. it's really all about getting the message out for me. And I'd love it if you could leave everybody listening with the top three take action steps that they could use today to start addressing these issues in their life. You know, the, the first one that I would say is, um, is check yourself on where you are on experiencing and moving through those eight unpleasant feelings. Mm-hmm. That would be the absolute first because you want to get that down because that's the base of being able to speak up. It's the base of handling failure. It's the base of getting rid of perfectionism. It's the base of taking action, all those different kinds of things. That would be the first thing. Okay. The the second is um, if you're not speaking up in situations that you need to be speaking up in or want to be speaking up in, then I want to encourage you to really dial your efforts into that as well. And that's going to come out of your ability to handle the emotional discomfort of those (laughs) pleasant feelings. Okay, awesome. And the third is to stop harsh self-criticism. Yes. Because it's just a distraction from the eight unpleasant feelings. Ah, we could do a whole other show on that. I'm game, whatever you're ready. (laughs) (laughs) That that is a segue into a part two right there. (laughs) Our self-talk is is what oftentimes keeps people stuck. It's in the end of chapter six. Uh, End of chapter six, okay. And the name of the podcast is Her Brilliant Health Radio. Dr. Joan, how would you define Her Brilliant Health? Her brilliant health is a woman who feel is uh, grounded in her own experience, has a vision of who she wants to become, and she she embodies that and goes after it with passion and zeal. Yes, I love that. And thank you so much for sharing yourself with me. You certainly embody her brilliant health, and this sounds like a wonderful tool that people can pick up and use today to start moving towards brilliant health. And as I always say, ladies listening, 
If you neglect the mental, emotional, spiritual, you just won't get to be the shiny, brilliant health lady that you deserve to be. So you've got to address it. And this sounds like a great way to really flush all those negative emotions out and and make sure that they don't cause you physical harm in the future. And it sounds like it would also improve your relationships and your outlook in life. And Dr. Joan has a, a gift for you. She's going to tell you about that and how you can find out more about her. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm all over the internet. So if you, <laughs> if you put in Dr. Joan Rosenberg, you'll find TED Talks, you'll find blogs on psychology today, you'll find a bunch of different things. Um, or you can go to drjoanrosenberg.com and there's a free and for a free gift, drjoanrosenberg.com forward slash gift. And then I believe there's an excerpt of a chapter. There's a checklist to help you actually a confrontation checklist, confrontation prep checklist. And there's one. Oh, and then it's the re, the Rosenberg reset, the one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. So great. That's, and that's it's there. Rosenberg with an S not a Z, right? Yes, it's and an and E as opposed to a U. So it's R-O-S-E-E-M-B-E-R-G. Got it. Okay, perfect. And we'll have it in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Joan, for joining <laughs> us. I'm very excited about this book. It sounds meaty and very important. It is, I've <laughs> packed it full of strategies. Yes, thank you so very much. And thanks for having me. Loved and thank it. you for Loved being it. here. Yeah. Many blessings. Right back at you. This episode brought to you by Shine, the energizing, detoxifying, balancing shake, your everyday breakfast replacement shake. It's got 18 grams of protein per serving, single digits in the sugars. So it's your low glycemic index solution to how to start each day with clean caffeine, 81 milligrams of clean caffeine from the green coffee bean from Hawaii, aloha. And it's got other nutrients in it. So it's a medicinal shake to help you detoxify and decrease inflammation and increase your cytokine balance. So it is all around health promoting and it's yummy, yummy vanilla latte. I start it each day with this. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Her Brilliant Health Radio. Hopefully you are inspired to take action on some new information you received today. A step towards the bountiful, blissful, beautiful vitality that you deserve. If you have health topics and questions you'd like addressed, please message me on my Facebook page or visit KieranDunstonMD.com and let me know. I'd love to help. Remember to share this podcast on social media and send it to your friends and family who could benefit from it too. If you love the show, please go right now to iTunes, write a review and make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll be the first to know when future episodes are available. Thank you again for joining me and remember, achieving optimal health isn't magic, it's science. 